Good morning, friends. If you're visiting with us, you are most welcome. We are very glad to have you here with us. Happy, happy, happy Father's Day, all you fathers. Uh, This morning's lesson, we are continuing uh, in John's Gospel. And hopefully this comes as a challenge uh, for all of us, but specifically our fathers too. Because we were made for more than just sitting around. We have a mission to accomplish. We have purpose. We've been given the tools to do it. We've been given everything we need to lead our families in good ways. A couple things I just wanted you to be aware of. Yesterday was a great day out here. You notice some of us have a little bit of a sunburn. We were out uh, with the yard sale, the the community neighborhood sale, and uh, the youth had a whole bunch of stuff donated to them by Chloe and Jeremiah, and uh, they sold those things. They sold uh, hot dogs and chips and drinks, and I heard the final count. They raised profit just over $1,000 for the youth group yesterday, so praise God for that. And to just keep this clap rolling, uh, I would like Alexis to stand up real quick. You may not know her. She was with the Tennessee group. Alexis was baptized into Christ in the Pacific Ocean yesterday afternoon. So, <laughs> Praise God. All right, so first, the tough text, the hard part of the text, what we'll be looking at this morning. Guilt by association of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So John uses the word world in a couple different ways, one positive and one negative. Uh, The world referring to the universe, the inhabited earth, created, sustained, and loved by God, this is good. But he also uses world in the sense that refers to the place where God's will is refused. The place where the love of God is, not fe- is, is feared, and it's not welcome. Uh, the, this world, in rebellion against God, it is the world of the self, infatuated by the self, stuffed full of the self. It has re- it's in reference to all of those who have used the gift of your own free will to choose spitting in the face of Christ and rebellion against God. It's characterized by selfishness, hatred, greed, lies. People are trapped in blindness and enslaved to their own illusions of what reality is. This is the negative way the world is used in John's Gospel. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. 
So the worldly order in rebellion to God, the order that persecuted Jesus, they are also going to seek to eliminate and sideline and demonize the disciples of Jesus Christ as well. So in the hidden music of John's gospel, what this is, is it is a call for us to become like Jesus Christ. If you become like Jesus, you're going to face trials. Trials like Jesus faced. But your faith, your obedience, your joy, your peace, and your power, they will also grow. Even as opposition for taking on the name of Christ grows, so the resources to stand against everything the world can throw against you will also grow. If you just take up a nominal form of Christianity, the truth is you're not going to face very much persecution because it's clear that you are busy looking out for number one. And when you are in that state of self-obsession, you're not a threat to the enemy at all. See, a lot of us act like the Christian life is supposed to be some kind of giant pleasure cruise. And we find it upsetting when people suggest to us that we've actually joined an army where we have tasks to accomplish and a commander to submit to. And let me also say about the persecution that comes our way, you know, uh, sickness, disease, getting old, dying, like every other human being, that's not the persecution Jesus is talking about here. The persecution is the rejection and opposition you will suffer because you dare to say that only Jesus Christ is Lord. Only Jesus saves. And only Jesus is your hope for a right relationship with God. There's persecution that will come from that. To put this another way, just because you're dealing with cancer does not mean you have taken up your cross for Christ and died to yourself, as harsh as that may sound. Because we take on a lot about our suffering. And you can learn to suffer with the things that you're faced with in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. But the cross is the cross. It's the suffering that we take for sticking out our necks for Jesus Christ. So two verses I want to look at real quickly. Matthew 5. Blessed are, the, are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. So not only is it going to happen... There's comfort that Jesus offers us. God gets the last word in the story. Great is your reward in heaven. Another one I want us to pay attention to, Hebrews chapter 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. 
Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe, put all that aside to become a little baby who had to grow, who had to be dependent on a mother and a father and a community, who had to grow and learn obedience. I find that beautiful and wonderful, and it gives me hope. You see, being a Christian does not exempt you from suffering. Being a Christian is your commission to enter into those places of suffering. See, Jesus, he was serious about prayer. He was serious about obedience to the Father. He was reverent in his submission, it says. And he learned greater obedience because of the suffering that he endured for the name of his Father. He learned. But also there's this other curious phrase in uh, the text in John's Gospel. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. It's not all just gloom and doom for us. There's good news. Good news in the form of, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. You know, in this life, we may feel like we are fighting the fires of hell with a squirt gun. And although we may experience overwhelming opposition, there will always be people who are ready to hear the gospel. There will always be persons of peace who are out there just waiting to hear a word of invitation, a word of hope, a word of salvation. These are people who are being wooed and prepared by the Holy Spirit. People who are hungry for truth. People who are fed up with the lies and everything this world offers. And they are ready to hear the gospel when it comes. And when they hear it, they recognize it for the truth that it is. And they want to learn more. See, the devil doesn't get all his way exclusively. There will always be some who refuse to cower to the pervasive values of our dominant culture around us. The fads of this age. There will always be some who are ready to hear the word of God. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. They hated me without reason. And this doesn't mean that ignorance of sin is a preferred state where there are no consequences. But how many miracles did these people witness Jesus do? And they still would not believe in him. In fact, their continued vehement opposition of Jesus in the end can only be described as hatred. Hatred. They hated me without cause. Hatred for telling the truth about God. Hatred for exposing their own need and sin and wickedness. Hatred 
for explaining what God is really like when they wanted to be the ones who explained what God is really like. What God wants from us. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So now Jesus begins to describe a co-working relationship that we are called to have with the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to testify together. And uh, that's what the disciples of Jesus are called to do. So he's talking to the original disciples, but that testimony is taken up, owned, and shared by subsequent generations of disciples, is it not? This is also our call to testify about Jesus Christ, to share the good news about Jesus in every day and every age. If you belong to Jesus Christ, the truth is you must testify. Testify to his lordship. And if you do not, you are not co-working together with the Holy Spirit. You are not a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. When you begin to live in the power and the resources of the kingdom of heaven, you will be opposed, even by others who think they are honoring God by their actions against you. That's the reality of the battlefield that we live in on this earth. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Once again, Jesus is leaving this trail of breadcrumbs for his disciples' faith to grow. They are reminded of Jesus' words by the Holy Spirit, we are told. And these words are a comfort to them, and these words are a comfort to us. What this means is when all the garbage this world is going to throw at us, when it all comes our way, God sees it. God knows. He knows about our brokenness, our pain, our fear, our doubt. And He gives us the words of Scripture to remind us to be courageous and to always testify to the goodness of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. The truth is we need these words because when we are scorned, when we are rejected, when we are persecuted, it's a really hard thing. I'm not ever saying that's easy. It's a hard thing. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. 
So what this means is that the disciples, they don't really care about where Jesus is going. They don't, they're not concerned about the destination. What their only concern is, is that Jesus is actually leaving their presence. They're upset that Jesus is going away. And actually what Jesus is doing here is he's bringing to their attention the fact that the travel destination of Jesus Christ is the key to everything. The reunification of the Father and the Son will usher in an outpouring of power, love, and joy that sends the Holy Spirit into every temple prepared to receive Him. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Somehow, it is for our benefit that Jesus returns to the Father and sends the Holy Spirit. Because this allows us to do greater things than would otherwise be possible with our lives. In the wonder of the Incarnation, God comes to us and is fully human. But with the Son's return to the Father and the outpouring of the Spirit, Jesus Christ becomes omnipresent in our lives. Suddenly, each and every one of us has the possibility of a private and quiet and intimate conversation with Jesus. And all we have to do is turn and speak with Him. Do you remember back in John chapter 14 where Jesus tells his disciples that they will do greater things than he did? He uses these words. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. How absurd this must have sounded to the disciples. Greater works than Jesus? Greater than the miracles of Jesus? Can you imagine that? Greater preaching than the Sermon on the Mount? How is that even possible? So I think something of the way that we do greater things than Jesus relates to the extent of how the perfection of Jesus just constantly goes into new situations where His children are faithful and testify about Him. See, when Jesus returns to God and the Spirit comes, suddenly Jesus can be in every human situation simultaneously. And the perfection of the love of Jesus Christ, it keeps reaching more and more and more people throughout generation after generation after generation. This is why Jesus can say in John 16, 7, that it's for our advantage that he goes away, because it's only in Jesus' departure that the Holy Spirit will come. And that was a hard pill for the disciples to swallow. How awesome would it be to walk around with Jesus just there, hanging out with him for three years? Can you imagine that? I think about that in my life. What would I love? I've got this theological issue, Jesus. Tell me what you think about this. I've got this situation at church. I kind of pulling my hair out about it if I had my hair was long enough to pull, but it's not. So, and, and wait, Jesus, you can multiply loaves and fish. You can multiply my hair as well. 
You know, just what kind of relationship would that have been like? Oh, this, this person's sick. Would you just go, go heal this person, Jesus? And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, I've got something even better. It's, it's hard to even wrap my mind around this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is even better. What Jesus is saying is, if you understood the power and the potential of the Holy Spirit working in people, you would be actually glad that I'm leaving and going to the Father. In our love, in our obedience, what God is able to do with us. He's able to take broken and ordinary people and make you glorious in your testimony to the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. And it's this power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to face every challenge that can be thrown at us. You were put here for a reason. You are a part of this day and age for a reason. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you everything you need for the challenges you face. I'm just going to say the missional implications of this, the manying of God as He enters into every body temple that is prepared to receive Him, the missional implications of this are astounding. That means that every person in this room, if you are obedient, if you have the faith, you have the power to take Jesus Christ into every situation in your life. The problem is, of course, a lot of us aren't accepting those prompts of the Holy Spirit to go everywhere in our life. We have parts of our lives that we have not invited the Spirit of God to be at work. Parts that are too precious. We want to hold on to. We don't want to surrender. We don't know how to let go. So we're consumed with different things. Whatever those vices are you face, whatever those addictions, whatever it could be. Power of anger dominates us. Power of lust dominates us. We have not invited Jesus into every crevice and corner of our lives. But when we do, and as we learn to do it, See, God doesn't wait for our perfection to get all cleaned up before He starts to work in us. He works us when we're in rebellion against Him completely. But He moves us in a different direction and He gives us new possibilities. But a lot of us, when those prompts of the Holy Spirit come, we don't react like we should. We believe lies instead that say things like, who am I to try this or to say this or to do this? That's not my gift. Or so-and-so is so much better at this. I just don't know enough. Have you ever heard that in the church? You know what? I think that's Calvin's job and the elder's job. Have you ever heard that in the church? I really don't like that one. We have a lot of Christians in our churches that are bored to tears. Bored 
fallen asleep, don't care to be here, it's coerced to be here, it's Father's Day, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Bored to tears. But we still carry a nagging sense. That there's something that we're supposed to be doing. That there has to be something more than this. Even though we're not always quite sure what. Truth is, a lot of us are simply not living up to God's intention for our lives. You were made for more than just punching an attendance card to attend a church service. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than that. And our services, are not, they're not, you know, we'll get here. This, we're all a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I'm a mess. I get that. I own that. No problem. God's grace is bigger. But I'm not here to give you a little boost, to help give you a happy thought to get through your week. Our services need to be a training ground to equip us to be missionaries to the real-life context and problems and messes we face every day. We are called to be a spiritual hospital where those who maybe have greater health minister to those who have needs. And as they mature, they disciple other people. You see on the bullet in the front article, it's about discipleship. You hear us throw those words out. What that means is we're supposed to be apprenticing each other. We're supposed to be equipping and helping each other discover, use our gifts to honor God, to go and be missionaries in this place. We have friends and parents and children and co-workers who do not know the Lord. People who are in our orbit who do not know the Lord. And we say things like, well, they know where we stand. And we have given up the fight to bring them into a saving relationship with Jesus. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it's an awkward conversation. If you go through your life like that, the awkward conversation is going to be explaining that to the Lord when you face Him in your judgment. That would be an awkward conversation, would it not? If you have given up the fight contending for souls on behalf of Jesus Christ, I'm not surprised that you find church boring. And that's because we were made for more than just sitting around. You men... We're called to be spiritual leaders in your family. You are made for more than just sitting around. Pew warming is not a recognized vocation in the church. Although good things come when pews are warm. So I was listening to this talk given by a preacher named J.D. Greer who told a story about a California man. I kind of remember a little bit of this from my childhood a guy named Larry Walters, who in 1982 bought 42 Army surplus weather balloons and then filled, filled them with helium and then attached them to his lawn chair. 
He was hoping to observe his neighborhood from a slightly different angle, he told a neighbor, and thus gain a new perspective on his life. Well, he didn't take very much with him in his lawn chair. Just a few items, including a peanut butter jelly sandwich, a BB gun, and a six-pack of beer. So what could possibly go wrong? Two and a half hours later, planes flying into Los Angeles International Airport reported an unidentified flying object above LAX floating at 16,500 feet above sea level. Three miles into the sky and 100 miles away from his home, the 737 pilot who first spotted Larry Walters described a motionless figure sitting in a lawn chair holding what looked to be a rifle. His intention had been to gently float up above his neighborhood. And then when he got to a nice vantage point, he would take his BB gun and shoot out a couple balloons to keep from floating any higher. And then pop a few more balloons when he was done to gently descend back down to the ground. But when friends untied the ropes holding Larry's lawn chair in the back of the truck, another one snapped And it said when it wasn't a gentle ascent upward, they said it looked like he had been shot out of a cannon as he took off. So Larry freaked out because he didn't know what he was going to do. And so he did the thing that he knew to do when he got stressed. And Larry quickly drank four cans of beer as he floated toward the stratosphere. The problem, of course, was elevation changes blood alcohol levels, and Larry passed out. And that was the way that he was discovered by planes coming in for a landing at LAX. Well, eventually he made it to the ground safely and immediately was issued a $4,000 ticket by police for obstruction of airport traffic. But later on in an interview with a local journalist, they asked him, Larry, why did you do this? And his answer was this. I just got tired of always sitting around. I just got tired of always sitting around. And I I, I share this story. I think it's funny, but I think it also captures about something about the way we feel in our churches. Some of us are tired of just sitting around. We're tired of being bored unfulfilled, unchallenged. And instead of investing in our church, we end up turning to hobbies, playing with our toys, our entertainment, or just stupidity to fill up our time. Recent surveys show that over 90% of Christians have never shared their faith with anyone outside their family. 90%, 9 out of 10 of us in this room. And that only 20% of churches are growing in the United States right now. And of those 20%, only 1% are growing by reaching lost people. That means that most of the growth we experience comes by Christians shifting from other churches to new churches. Now I praise God for every person who who chooses to come through the doors of this building. I thank the Lord for this. 
But you are not here because you're on a spiritual pleasure cruise. You're here to train for war. And that war is already upon us and the casualties are real. The pain and the the destruction that's in our lives, it's real. Because if if you've accepted the call to be a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ of Lord, then make Him Lord indeed. And His call is to take you in your mess and your filth and your brokenness and turn you into a fisher of men. Someone who fishes for people. And if we are depending on improving the product of the church service here in order to reach lost people and draw them in, we're actually never going to get them. We end up putting on a better and better show for fewer and fewer people. You were made for more than just sitting around. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is your commission to take Jesus Christ into the world. And think about this. If you ever read through the book of Acts, look at where those miracles take place. Forty miracles or so recorded in the book of Acts. As far as I can tell, 39 of them happen outside the church building, outside the assembled church. Brothers and sisters, a true disciple of Jesus Christ just can't sit around. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. What Jesus is talking about here is the way that the Holy Spirit is to work in the world. The people in rebellion against God, this is how the Holy Spirit works in their lives. In regard to sin, this world says there's no such thing. There's no sin. Or they'll say to be a sinner, someone who's sinful really, is someone who's intolerant to anyone or anything, like Christians are intolerant. In a world without sin, there is no need of a Savior. But the Holy Spirit does not let people have their way completely. He is that sliver in the back of people's minds that comes and say, you know what, this actually is wrong. This is wrong. And he helps people recognize their need for help and then to search for that help. The Holy Spirit works in this way, in regard to righteousness. The world's definition of righteousness, Isaiah 46.6 says, what the world esteems and holds sacred, God, he calls it filthy rags. Think about what this world calls good and true and beautiful. Think about that. The Spirit proves the righteousness of this world shallow, and places in our hearts a yearning for true righteousness. In regard to judgment, John 7, 24, he said, Stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgments. Jesus' words. See, the judgments of this world are false and perverse, 
and they are related to him who was a liar from the beginning. John 8, 42 through 47. The Holy Spirit convicts and he puts in our hearts a longing for true justice. Have you ever been in a situation where justice has been perverted? The Holy Spirit puts in our hearts that longing for true justice, for judgments that are right. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears and will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring to me He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Just as Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father and in step with him in all things, so also the Holy Spirit perfectly passes on everything he hears whispered between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the reliable guide who brings us into everything that is, in fact, true. And then he tells his disciples, in a little while you will see me no more. Just a little throwaway verse. In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Those words, I hope they're an encouragement to you because they're not just for those disciples, they're for us as well. In a little while, you're in a situation that you just don't know the way forward. It's heavy. You don't know what to do. We can't see Jesus in it. Then he's going to step back into that situation as he does with his love and with the power and the resources, everything you need. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. And then in a little while, you will see me. Can you cling to that? Can you have faith in that? Because we're able to have faith in that, because we're able to have faith in that, we don't have to cower in the dark We don't have to be lost in brokenness and shame. We move forward in the peace and the joy of the Spirit. And we attack. We attack the strongholds of darkness in our day and age. We do that through our love and through our obedience and through our faith in Jesus Christ. So however these words hit you this morning, if you need to put the Lord on in baptism, if you would like the prayers of this church, whatever needs you might have, we want to invite you to come forward and you can share those with me uh, as we stand and sing together.